Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, on this beautiful Friday morning. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. We are continuing our series called I Need a Plan. (laughs) And I love the title for this little series of shows because it really represents how we as therapists and how we as parents of late talkers feel. Sometimes we start working with a child and we think, I'm just going to hit the ground running here and just whatever happens, happens, and he needs to know some words, so I'm going to teach him. And then we, in our zeal to get going, we don't really stop to think about how should this proceed? What exactly should we work on? And so that's what this whole little series is about. I need a plan, and it follows my hierarchy for working with late-talking toddlers and toddlers with other language delays and disorders, and it doesn't start with that expressive piece. It doesn't start with... Let's teach them how to say new words. It actually goes back to the very beginning, and there are four big components. And, again, this is just a little quick review in case this is the very first time you've ever listened to the show or in case you listened to this show a couple weeks ago or the preceding show a couple weeks ago. But we start with social interaction skills because that's the foundation for communicating. And so if you're working with a child who's not talking, but he's avoiding you, he's not staying with you, he's not making eye contact – You don't need to worry about him talking yet because you're not going to get there unless you work on the most important and most foundational piece first that he's missing. And that's what happens a lot. We start at a level that's too high uh, for a child, and then we wonder why he's stuck. We wonder why we're not making any progress. We buckle down and try to do all kinds of other stupid things that don't work. You know, we try to force him or we try to reinforce and think, oh, we just don't have the right thing that he likes when really is that he's just not developmentally ready. And so we have to go back and start looking at communication from the floor, the very foundation up. And that does begin with social interaction. And that's what last, uh, the last show was about. So if you haven't listened to show 348, and even the show before that that talks about the whole, again, the whole explanation for what the four pieces are and how they work together. And, and, and go back and listen to that first because that will make a lot more sense. Today we're talking about the second piece. What happens after we really look at social interaction skills? What's the next piece that we should look at in children who are not talking yet? And that's receptive language. Now, receptive language, for those of you who aren't therapists, uh, is different than receptive language, different than expressive language. Expressive language is what a kid says or what he can express using his little body or facial expressions or gestures like waving bye-bye or pointing or doing something to let you know with his body without a word, but he's still expressing it. That's expressive language. It's kind of the output piece. The input piece is receptive language. How does what? How does he understand what he hears? Is he following directions? Is he doing what you say? Does he look like he cares <laughs> and knows what you mean when you were talking to him? And let me just say, and I say this, gosh, every time I, almost every time I talk about anything related to toddlers. And language delays, I always say, I know that receptive language delays are the most overlooked delay in toddlers who are involved in any kind of early intervention. And it certainly is even overlooked in the pediatrician's office when the pediatrician is talking with a mom about how many words can your child say. Lots of times they gloss over the fact that in order to use words or say words, 
a toddler has to understand what those words mean. And so the receptive language piece comes next. So this is super, super important again. And so let's just talk, think about how a toddler might demonstrate that he understands because they don't look at you and say, yeah, mom, I got it. Or they don't look at their speech pathologist and say, I understand everything you're saying. How do we know they understand? They have to demonstrate it. They have to do something. And many, many times parents can miss that. They think that a child is just choosing not to, uh, choosing not to follow a direction or choosing not to listen or choosing to avoid doing what they've said. Now, sometimes that does happen, but when we have a child who's not following any kind of verbal direction, we can't just chalk that up to a behavioral issue. We have to really, really take a step back and make sure that his receptive language is moving along too. And again, this is the most unnoticed reason that children are not talking because so many times they give kids credit for way more than they can do. And again, uh, this isn't just for parents. Therapists miss this all the time. I cannot tell you how many times a therapist will email me. You know, the website's been up and chugging for 10 years now, so I've gotten tons and tons and tons of emails in this last decade from therapists who will just, or parents, let's just keep it with therapists right now, who will just swear you know, this is an expressive language problem, or this is just solely a straight light talker. And I'll communicate with the therapist back and forth and, you know, and ask a lot of questions. And then I can almost see them <laughs> questioning their own clinical impressions as, as our email chain continues because I'm saying things like, well, how compliant is he during sessions? Is he following directions? And let me just say a word like compliant, I, I shouldn't have said that. That was a misuse of that term. Compliance really does indicate that there's a behavioral issue. Like, I, I know what you mean. I, know, I totally understand a command like go pick up your shoes, but I'm just not going to do it. That's what compliance is. A receptive language issue is when the toddler doesn't understand what you're asking them to do. And so he might not look at you and not, you might not see any kind of registration or a change in his little body language or his demeanor to let you know that he's not understood, but you know by his behavior he didn't go get his shoes. And that's what I mean here. We have to really, really look at what kids are doing. They have to demonstrate. They have to, We have to see some evidence that they're understanding what we say. And so this is a good example. This is in my a therapy manual called Let's Talk About Talking, the 11 Skills All Toddlers Master Before Words Emerge. And that's sort of our format for today's show with looking at this, what can we do in everyday routines to help toddlers learn how to understand words and learn how to follow directions. And so, again, this is an example from this. The most common way that a toddler demonstrates his ability to understand language is by responding to what we say. So things like looking at us when we call their names, things like following commands, things like participating. And so let's take this example. Let's say that we've said to a two-year-old, hey, it's almost time for bath. Are you ready to take a bath? And so what might a toddler who is not even talking yet do to understand? show you that he understands what those words mean. Well, he might get excited if he loves his bath, and many, many, many toddlers do. He might shake his head to answer your question, you know, are you ready for bath? If he's doing something he doesn't want to let go of yet, he may shake his head no. And so you know that he's processed and understood that question. He might just run to the bathroom. 
because he knows he he understands that word bath. He remembers. Oh, this is where I go when that happens. This is the way to the bathroom. Let me beat mom there. He might grab your hand to pull you there because you've told him that. So that's a gesture to let you know that he's understood. He might do something like start ripping off his clothes <laughs> because he knows what comes next. Or he might do something like start to gather something that he wants to take into the tub with him. So those are all ways that we understand that he understands. And so let's contrast that with a child who might not understand when you say, hey, are you ready for bath? And they just keep on doing what they're doing. Let's say they're playing with a set of trucks and you say, hey, are you ready to take a bath? Nothing. They don't look up at you or they might look at you briefly and then momentarily just get right back to what they're playing. There's no evidence there that they've understood what you said. You might as well have been background noise. Because just from that exchange and the contrast between the examples that I gave you before with what a child would do, like taking off his clothes or pulling you to the bathroom or shaking his head yes or even no, that lets you know that's evidence. But when we see no change in a child and no real response, guys, our first, our first response, our first reaction to that should be, he doesn't understand what I said. And a lot of times we don't do that. Parents and therapists sometimes, too, will go straight to, well, of course he understands that he just doesn't want to do it. And there's a big difference between can't and won't. Won't understand, or you know, and we usually use this example in context of talking. But that's the behavioral piece. That's that, uh, you know, he's, saying, he's really saying no. I'm not ready for my bath yet. But, again, you've got to have more than him just looking up at you or not looking at you or ignoring you or tuning you out. That's not good enough for you to say, yeah, he understood my question. He's, he doesn't want to do it. This is, a, this is a refusal or this is him saying, hey, not yet. You can't judge that based on on that just no response from him. You've got to have some kind of definitive thing. And so if you were talking to a child all day long and and he's not doing anything that you ask him to do just based on your words, you have to know that there's something missing there. There's a receptive language piece that's uh, not falling into place like we would want it to do. Now, remember, just like every other skill that we look at, child developmentally. Receptive language development follows a continuum, meaning that kids get here not understanding anything. <laughs> that first little day they're born, they do not understand what words mean. That develops with experience over time. And so by the time children reach their first birthdays, they're doing things that uh, following directions that are associated with very familiar commands, like when you're getting them dressed, like put your arm in or give me your foot when they're about to, you're about to put their shoe on. They understand things like requests like give it to me when there's a, um, a visual component. So let's say that you're saying give it to me and you hold your hand out. You've provided that visual cue. And so he learns to understand what the word, words give it to me mean because you've done it over and over and over and because you've held your hand out to provide that little visual cue. And because he's gotten reinforced for it, meaning that you've asked him for something, he's given it to you, he, he's, he's associated those words with that action. So he's placed the whatever in your hand and you've said thank you or given him a hug or even just smiled and not, <laughs> not redirected his behavior again. So that's the reinforcement piece of that. 
So that's how we know. So that's around the first birthday. And then between 12 and 18 months, children really, really make huge leaps in their ability to understand what words mean. And so they start following lots of different directions. And so when we get to about 15 to 18 months, if we see that a child is not following very familiar directions in daily routines, we know that he has a receptive language delay. And so, you know, I always kind of give this example. If I'm testing a child, doing an evaluation, and I'm asking, and he's over 18 months, and I and I ask mom, commands for you. And she says something like, you know, heavens no, he never does anything I say. I just want to, you know, I say, close the book, he qualifies. <laughs> because receptive language, after about 18 months, that's your biggest marker if you have a child who is not following directions in everyday routines. And so that's the big one we can use. Let's look at some other things that show us that receptive language is not moving along. That's when a child does not respond to his name. Kids consistently and quickly and accurately respond to their names by those first birthdays. Now, they start alerting to their names even as early as four to six months. And so when we have a 12-month-old, an 18-month-old, a 24-month-old who's not responding to his name, that's a big deal. And that's a big marker for a receptive language delay. Probably there's some other things going on too. You know, not responding to your name is one of the first things that we look at with autism. That's one of the characteristics that really differentiates kind of a straight language delay from a more um, social-based developmental issue like autism because responding to your name is so ingrained. It's something that children learn, again, in that first year. So that's a big one if a kid doesn't consistently respond to his name. Kids who repeatedly ignore and tune out what other people say, that's a big marker for a receptive language problem too. A toddler who doesn't follow simple directions, and we talked about that 15 to 18-month marker. If you have a kid who's not giving you things on request, who doesn't complete those really familiar directions like go get your cup, bring me a book, where's your ball, let's go find daddy, it's time for a bath, those kinds of really simple, familiar words that they hear all day, every day, you know, that's a big problem. That lets you know there's a receptive language delay. A toddler who seems busy or preoccupied with something else, Mm, he's not doing algebra <laughs> in his little brain. He's not. And sometimes parents will say that. They'll say, oh, he's just so smart. He's thinking about something else. And I just, it's heartbreaking for me to have to go the other way with that and say, gosh, I don't think that's it at all. He may be so smart and have all these other different strengths. But if he's not following directions, when we have to really talk to parents about that and help them understand. And again, in a real gentle, kind, loving way, not a beat your head, beat them over the heads with, how could you have missed this? No wonder he's not talking. He doesn't know a word you say. Not that. We've got to go the other way with it. And again, parents sometimes really, really are blown away with how much their child doesn't understand because they just assumed that whole first year or two, that things are moving along developmentally and their only real concern is his lack of spoken language. So we have to really, really talk a lot of parents through that. 
And again, sometimes parents will understand this or will attribute a child not understanding or not following directions to, well, he's just stubborn. He's just lazy. You know, he's like his every, he's like his daddy. You can't tell his daddy what to do and you can't tell him what to do either. And so if you've said those things, if you're a parent listening to the show now and you've said those things, I want you to really stop and think about receptive language because, again, that's a, a temperament or a personality issue is very, very different than a receptive language delay. Choosing to not follow a direction is very, very different from not understanding and not linking meaning with that. So think about that. Now, why is receptive language important? It's because kids who don't understand uh, spoken language, what other people say to them, will struggle in nearly every developmental area, especially with academics. Because this is how we teach kids. They listen to us. And so language is the foundation for all of those things. And so if we can't get a handle on receptive language and the close, the other close developmental domain that's linked with receptive language, it's cognition or how smart a kid is. And again, there are different kinds of intelligences. There are different kinds of ways that we measure cognitive development. But spoken language, hearing that, is a really, really, really big part of that. And any time a child has a receptive language delay, he's going to have an expressive language delay, too. Those things go hand in hand. So kids have to really understand words before we expect them realistically to be able to use those words to communicate. And let's just say this, too. Receptive language is such an important predictor for how a child is going to do developmentally. So if we have a child who's just a late talker, meaning he's not talking yet, but he's following lots of directions, he's really with us in conversation, you know, we mention something, we'll say, oh, did you read a book with mommy last night? And then he runs to get that book. He's understood it. We are not as worried about a child who that it's just not talking versus a child who's not talking and not understanding. And even a really mild delay in a child's ability to understand language can result in a cascade of other developmental issues. And so we have to really, really closely look at receptive language and then treat it. And for lots of us in early intervention, we're focused on the wrong part of language. We are focused on getting a child to talk and helping him learn to say words when really if we would just back up and work on the receptive language piece, talking will come. The kids have to understand those words first. So let's move on to strategies. Let's think about what are the very best strategies, what are the best techniques and ways that we can help a toddler learn to understand early words and follow simple directions. First of all, let me just say this. Before we can change a child or help him <laughs> learn anything new, we often don't start with the kid. We have to change ourselves first, meaning that we have to decide as a parent or as a therapist, hey, I've got to do some things differently here. What we've done hasn't worked. What what the parents have already done and grandparents and every other adult this child is with has tried to do with language, has not been successful yet, to be really, really open to changing how we interact with a child. Now, for some parents, that's pretty hard because, and especially dads, and not to pick on our male <laughs> friends here, but sometimes there is more resistance there, I think, with dads than with, with uh, moms. And, and that's just a fact. And again, I'm not a man basher at all, but sometimes they'll say, well, he's just going to have to get it. He's just going to have to get over it. He's just going to have to understand it. I'm not changing anything. This is the real world here. 
oh, I just would caution you not to be that way. Or if you are a therapist and you have to talk a dad through that or talk a mom about how to talk, talk to mom about how to talk dad through that <laughs> or in your sessions. I mean, I love it when I get to work with dads because I get so much, you know, honest information about a family and kind of what how things are and how dynamics are because they just aren't as um, easily they just they just sometimes don't don't try to sugarcoat things like uh, some of us girls try to do and some moms and women try to do. They're not just the niceties sometimes aren't there. And again, I'm being so stereotypical when I say this because every man is not resistant and every dad isn't going to say, well, he's just going to have to get over it because that's not true at all. But at the same time, you do get a little bit more resistance, I think, from a dad than from a mom, just it, just you know, being super general here. So you have to really be open to changing what we do on our end. And a lot of times I'll tell parents, you know, well, you can keep doing the same old thing, but he's just not getting it that way. If if he were going to respond to what you've already done, I wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't even need me. And so that sometimes will be the line that sort of changes things for a parent. And, again, this could be a mom. A mom might be super resistant and might say, you know, I'm not going to do anything different. I'm doing everything just fine. You don't have to get on me about my parenting. And I try to say, you know, that's not really what this is about. This is about helping him learn how to understand words and really uh, learn what words mean so that eventually we get to that talking piece. And this is what absolutely has to come first. So let's go on beyond that being open to change and saying to a parent, hey, we're going to have to do some things differently here. What are some other things that we could do? Now, I talked about this next recommendation on last show about social interaction. And again, it's so applicable to what we're talking about today, too. If when we want a child to learn how to understand words and link meaning with words and improve his receptive language skills, he's got to hear people talk. And again, we're talking about real people here. Kids are not going to learn how to do anything as well from a screen, you know, an iPad game, a, an educational television show. Nothing can compare with that one-on-one -on -one interaction face-to-face -face with people. And so the same recommendation is what we started out with in the social interaction show. You've got to stay together and let that child hear you talk to him directly as often as possible. So that means if he is zoned out in his room or if he is roaming around his home just doing his own thing all day long, he's not getting very much input. And you just screaming out from the other room, how you doing, buddy, <laughs> is not enough. <laughs> that is not enough. And sometimes when we as therapists talk to parents about talking to their children, they don't realize how little one-on-one -on -one direct interaction they're really providing because a lot of that is just kind of that, uh, what we would characterize as small talk between a parent and child all day long, and they're not really saying much of anything. You know, the whole example I just gave, you know, how you doing, buddy? That happens a lot, and a parent will think, well, I'm talking to him, and that's not really saying anything, is it? He's not going to respond. I'm doing fine in here, Dad. Just keep on, keep on working from your other room. So he probably is not going to be able to uh, get that done. And so you want to be sure that you are, addressing that. Excuse me one second. Sorry, there's someone at the door. Okay, so sorry. We just had an interruption in our office. Okay, so we're going to keep them together with us as often as we can. And so, again, proximity is so important. 
so when you are having um, making lunch, you want to keep him with you in the room that you are cooking in. You know, again, you're not going to just let him go off and do his own thing. If you are <laughs> cleaning, move him with you from room to room. If you're going to be outside working on something and you think, oh, you know, your temptation is for me to leave him inside or let him, um, you know, again, kind of do his own thing, don't do that. Do everything that you can to kind of corral him and keep him with you and keep him together. Because that, that, again, that's something that a lot of parents don't even think about. You think, you know, that's just such a common sense recommendation. But if no one is telling them that, they don't understand it, and they don't understand that whole, they have to hear lots and lots and lots of words and, and constantly be exposed to language before we can expect them to begin to pick up words and use them. The next thing is just being super specific when we are keeping a child with us and focus on teaching words that a child can use during everyday activities. So when the kid is with you, you don't just go on blah, 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 blah about uh, whatever, you talk about what you're actually doing and you talk about what's actually happening. And again, that's so that a child can link meaning with what they're doing. And beyond that, we want to be sure that we are teaching them and talking about things that pertain to them. So if you are doing something like, um, gosh, Let's say dusting the ceiling fan, you know, you can talk about that, but how often is a child really going to be able to use a word like dust and, you know, fan, maybe if he's hot, but my point here is we talk about things that they need. So things that are, are really relevant to them during everyday routines. And so you have to really, again, know a child and know the routines before and know what's important to that family before we decide what words we're going to focus on teaching. Now, what I'd like to do when we start this whole process is just to really make a list of their child's favorite people, favorite foods, toys, pets, and favorite things that they do. If they're a TV kid, kind of addicted to a screen, we'll include those words too because we're not going to change every single thing overnight. And if, even if a kid has unique interests and fixations, include those kinds of words too. Now, this makes a lot of sense from just an importance factor, meaning whatever the kid is paying attention to, whatever his little world really consists of, those are the words with what we need to teach. And so that's what we need to be super, super focused on. And remember, too, that early vocabularies really do consist mostly of nouns. And so when we have a parent list all those favorite things, that's what we're doing. We're coming up with a core vocabulary list of nouns, people, places, things, objects. And so uh, think about that and, and help a parent kind of walk through that. Now, lots of late talkers will understand some of those words already and celebrate when that happens <laughs> because it's a big deal. You've got a starting point. And you'll know then that you, then when that happens, when a kid already understands a lot of nouns, then we can move on to help them understand other kinds of words like verbs or early action words, early location words like prepositions. And remember, as we're teaching all these words, toddlers learn best by doing. So that means real life, real time, real actions. You know, we're not going to sit down with pictures and apps, which is fine, and that's a great way to teach kids, and I'm not knocking that, but nothing beats real life and, and real action. So instead of looking at pictures about eating, you actually teach the words that kids need while they're eating. Instead of looking at pictures about jumping and running and all these 
great action words or verbs we would teach. We actually do those things and work those things into play in our daily routines. And so there's an example in the book, let's talk about talking. If you've decided that your child doesn't understand the word dance, would you look at a picture and a book about dancing? No, you would dance. You would turn on the music or you would sing or whatever, and you would practice that. And so think about that kind of example and think about how, how much that makes sense, especially as a therapist when you're getting ready to Talk to parents about that and, and say, you know, all those other kinds of little educational tools that we have in real life every day about what he's actually doing. Um, I mentioned that little early word list before, or that receptive vocabulary list. We certainly want to do that with nouns and with action words and location words. And there are other words that kids need to. Descriptive words, and again, this is beyond colors. I'm talking words. Uh, about words that are adjectives and adverbs, if you'll think back to your English class. So words that describe, so words like all gone, words like big and little and cold and hot and happy and sad and hurt and hungry, all those kinds of descriptive words. Quantity words, other kinds of social function words, please, thank you, you know, no, and yes, those kinds of things. Those are the kinds of words that we need to help children understand. Now, if you need a good list of those words, I put them in nearly every product that we sell at teachmetotalk.com. I've got great lists for early vocabulary and Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. I have it in building verbal imitation in toddlers. I always include a uh, vocabulary list in the continuing education courses that I teach. There's a great expanded version of that in my therapy manual that was released in 2017. Let's talk about talking. Now, if you're on my email list, if you subscribe and get my daily emails, you've also gotten some links for those. I've got some great charts at teachmetotalk.com. And so if you're not a subscriber, I would really encourage you to do that because you'll get notification of those things when they're ready. And you can go to teachmetotalk.com and sign up for that just in the green banner there on the homepage. And if you're there and you want to take a look at those, um, I have a super, super post that I did about that, gosh, this summer, so it's real current, but it's receptive language milestones. And just type that into the search bar and you'll get a page that will take you to some PDF downloads with some charts of, uh, not only vocabulary lists, but other kinds of receptive language milestones too. All right, so while we're talking about what words that we should teach, those really functional, practical, everyday words, there are also some things that we shouldn't worry about. And those are academic, pre-academic concepts, so shapes, colors, letters, and numbers. Now, parents sometimes get a little confused because they'll say, he needs to know that before he goes to school. Absolutely, and we get to those kinds of words, and those words are important for preschoolers, but honestly, for toddlers who aren't talking yet and who aren't following directions, we need to worry about a lot of other things before we start focusing on shapes, colors, letters, and numbers. And so some kids, though, are super attracted to those concepts. You might have a kid who's just kind of crazy about numbers. You know, every time you open a book, he's trying to find the page number there, or as Moms will tell me as they're driving, a child will pick out a lot of numbers, especially if they're already talking a little bit. But let me just say, when a kid is obsessed like that, he's really, really kind of feeding that fixation, and we need to tear him away from that. We can use it as a way initially to get his attention and to start to work with him and build that little bridge of connecting and interacting, but 
we can't just stay hyper-focused on those things. We have to really redirect a lot of that attention to more functional vocabulary. And so make sure that you're thinking about that too. All right, the next strategy that we want to do, and I've already mentioned this briefly, but let me say it again, is keep our words in the here and now. So we talk to what a child about whatever it is that he's paying attention to at the moment. Because it's much, much easier to just work on language and fold in our words to help him understand with something he's already attending to because you've already tackled that first piece. His, his attention is already focused there, so you don't want to constantly pull him away from what he's trying to do. So you can teach language anytime, anywhere. So if he is on the floor looking at a you know leaf that's blown in the front door, you may want him to come over and do a book with you or come over and play with toys with you. But for at least that first little bit, you need to talk about what he's paying attention to and really emphasize those important words by repeating them. And a big trick that you can use is, is so practical when you realize that a child is, doesn't understand a word or he's not following a direction and you think, oh, this is a new word, is include those words at the ends of your phrases and sentences. So let's use that example about with a leaf, that a child is on his belly, he's down there really looking at the leaf that's blown in the front door, you're not going to say, oh, where do you think that came from? Look at that. My goodness, it's already dried up a little bit. You've left out the most important word, which is leaf. You've got to really teach him what that is. And so be sure that you're talking about that. Instead of, say, let's say a child is eating breakfast and he has cereal, you know, he's eating dry cereal and maybe some yogurt and he's drinking a juice box. So mom is sitting there with him. She shouldn't be talking about what they're going to do later in the day. And, again, that's important. But first and foremost, she should be talking about the cereal and the yogurt and the apple juice so that we are really, really helping him understand what's going on right in front of him. And, again, as his skills improve, you know, and we, we all have conversations with children that are removed from what we're immediately doing. And that's great because we do build language that way. But... For children who have identified receptive language delays, we need to do everything we can to keep that language focused on what they are already attending to so that we don't miss these opportunities to teach these words that they really, really need. The next thing that we really need to do is to be sure that we are cueing a child or giving him clues as to uh, what we're talking about when he doesn't seem to understand. Now, the very best tagline, I mean, I, I hope this is something that I'm known for uh, in this decade at teachmetotalk.com is uh, the tagline, tell him, show him, help him. Because this is a tagline that I came up with uh, in 2008 when we did our DVD series, Teach Me to Listen and Obey, which is all about receptive language. But it really is a very practical way of teaching parents and for us as therapists to keep ourselves on track with how we cue the level of cueing that we need for children and we always start out with the least amount of help that we can provide and so that's talent so just verbal cues so let's let's get an example like of a really practical command that we would issue a toddler a really practical direction let's say it's put your cup in the sink let's say he's thrown it a couple of times and it's empty and he's not thirsty we want him to do his little part, which we'll talk about in a minute in everyday routines. But let's just say this is the example that we're using. We tell him, go put your cup in the sink, and he doesn't do it. So you're first with the tagline, tell him, show him, help him. 
your first thing there is what? It's telling, and that's the verbal cue. So we've already told him once, so if he doesn't understand, you can give him a couple of more chances with that same line, put your cup in the sink, or you might change it a little bit. You might reword it a little bit, help him understand it. You might also do some things with verbal cueing, would include things like pausing to give him time to process, or um, again, just just that extra little something else you would say that would help him understand what you mean. So that's the telling part. The next part is showing. These are your visual cues. So for parents, that would mean that you are doing something that he can see you do that would help him understand. So if you're saying to him, put your cup in the sink, what are some things you could do that would show him what you mean? Well, you could point to the cup. You could point to the sink. You could you could model it if there are two cups there. And by model, I mean you demonstrate what you want him to do. You are the model. <laughs> so you might pick up the other cup and say, look, Mama will put her cup in the sink. Watch Mom. Mom's putting the cup in the sink. And so you're modeling there. That's showing him. And so you might do some things like that for a couple of times. But then if he doesn't do it, you get all the way to help him, which is a super nice way of saying, make him do it <laughs> and this physical assistance part is so important especially for children who are two two and a half three four and not following familiar directions it is time to take the bull by the horns <laughs> and so you got to just really help him and again i'm not using that analogy i'm just i'm, just, I'm not using that to uh, again imply that there's any stubbornness or willful disobedience or non-compliance i'm just saying that we have to give that physical assistance so walk over to him take his little hand help him pick up the cup and then help him go put it in the sink and so that tagline tell him show him help him is something that parents should do all day long to help a child learn how to follow directions and you know I use this so much with parents that on some of my DVDs when we're we're I'm working with a parent and a child there. Uh, a parent will say, well, I've already done. Tell him, show him, help him. Or, you know, first I told him and then I had to show him and then finally I had to just help him do it. That becomes so a part of their own internal dialogue that they're having with themselves. And that's fantastic. When you can hear a parent repeat what you've said to them to tell you the strategy as they are talking to you about it. And so that's why things like tell and show and help them or uh, show, hold, give, those those kinds of little taglines that we use. And that's that's the joint attention hierarchy there, show, hold, and give. Um, but those things are so important. So it's their best we need to really say these things, and as we're using these strategies with the child, you know, we automatically provide verbal cues. We're, we're giving visual cues just instinctively without really explaining to a parent. We're not saying, hey, did you see me point at that? Well, that's just, that's on purpose. <laughs> I'm being really, really intentional because your child isn't really understanding my spoken words here. I've told him, but now I've got to show him. And so use the taglines as you're talking about it and, and to explain what you're doing and then especially as you're coaching a parent. And they'll remember those things after the visit's over and then they'll be able to use those strategies themselves. All right, the next thing we should do with our level of cueing as we're sure in, in during the midst of all of that that we're giving a child lots of time to respond. Now, I don't mean 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean more like 10 seconds. 
where we're pausing. And lots of us who are just high energy, chatty patty, uh, you know, over the top, high strong people can sometimes jump in and do things for a child and not even really give them time to respond. And so if that's you, if you're kind of in hyperdrive all the time, you probably need to take a step back and, you know, count to 10 when you've given a verbal direction and just see if a child might try to respond on his own. The other thing that we want to move, setting up frequent opportunities through the day for a child to demonstrate that he understands. So it's not just a little one-time shot uh, that we would do with the child. You know, we don't practice something like throw your diaper away after a diaper change one time and think that a child will get it. You know, every time we change his diaper, we say, throw it away, go throw this dirty diaper away, go put it in the trash. You know, we're saying that and we're giving them that opportunity to learn it and practice time and time and time again, not just uh, one time and that's it. So, one one thing that really helps drive the tone for parents is teaching a child how to do their part during everyday activities. I've had a couple of conversations with parents on the phone about this this week. They, you know, called our office related to something, you know, an order that they've done. And if anytime I'm on the phone with a parent, I feel like, well, if they've had a problem, the least I can do is give some free advice, you know. So, I, you know, while the some systems loading with whatever their order number is or, you know, whatever we're trying to figure out that's gone wrong or that they need help with, I'll often ask, you know, well, tell me about your child, what's going on? And this is a piece of advice that I give a lot to parents. It's just making sure that we teach a child to do something and incorporate this receptive language practice into everyday routines. So this means that you'll take something like mealtime and you'll come up with, hey, what are one or two verbal directions that I can give every time I'm feeding my child, every time I'm providing some kind of food here, what's something that I can do every single time to work on receptive language. So you might decide, okay, well, every time that he has a drink, I'm going to always practice give it to me or give me your cup where I, I want him to give me the cup, or I'm going to always practice something like put it down or set it on the table or put like we used before, put it in the sink. Or maybe uh, it might even, you know, be something like give me a bite or feed mama, just even something silly like that or even something like cheers where you have a cup and they have a cup and, you know, you're going to clang it together like you're doing the New Year's toast. You know, that's kind of silly. It's not very practical. But we do want to help children learn to understand and associate what we say with what they do. And so you pick out a couple of little commands and don't start all macro, you know, so hard that a kid can't do it. Pick out just a couple of little commands for every routine. You think, okay, for bath time, I am going to work on uh, wash your leg or, you know, wash your toes. You know, I'm going to work on that and I'm going to work on clean up the toys or clean up, you know, the specific whatever your toys are, put the boat in uh, however you clean up your toys at bath time. So whatever. And again, this is very individualistic. It would be super hard for me to write a list of common receptive language uh, commands 
and then have every single parent who's listening with a child for that to be relevant to what you do with your kid. And so it really is pretty individualistic. Now, there are some things that all of us use and that all of us, it's familiar to everyone. But more often than that, we want to really target what families are doing. So that's why in early intervention we have the IFSP, you know, the Individualized Family Service Plans. We're supposed to be gathering information that's specific to that family and specific to that child. And that's where we would pick our receptive language commands. So go through some of those things, therapists, with parents and say, let's talk about every time you get him dressed, let's talk about two, you know, a couple of little commands that he can, that you are going to be focused on every single time you are changing his clothes. These are the two things you're going to ask him to do. You know, and let, let's talk about bath time. These are the two things. And so go through that whole list with a parent and come up at and you know they may have five or six routines and then you're working on two commands per routine that those are 10 different commands 10 different directions that a child is going to be working on following for some families that seems overwhelming at the beginning they might think that's too much you're going to be worried about their follow-through there's some families that you think well if I can get them to do this one time a day that's good that's okay Start with that. Just start with a routine that they are committed to doing, something that they do every single day, and pick out one or two commands that you're going to really, really focus on. Here's what happens. Success breeds success. So once a mom sees, hey, I really taught him how to do that, he understands that, they get excited. And then even parents that you think, boy, they are not taking any of this as seriously as they need to take it. They are not listening to my advice. They are not listening to my recommendations. If you can just get a parent to do a couple little things like this and they see their child following that and you pump a parent up enough about it, you say, Mom, that was you. You taught him that. He would not know that if you had not done such a good job of focusing on this. You know, And that, again, breeds more effort. And so then a parent will want to try even harder to do that again. So even parents, again, that are so busy and that are so distracted and so just, you know, want or the opposite of that. You know, they just, it's not that they're checked out. They just need results right now. When we can get a parent on board and let them see some initial success like that, you know, the first week of therapy, the second appointment, third appointment, they're coming back and saying, you know, he's doing it. He's He's following those commands now. He does that pretty consistently. Then you know that your your therapy plan is going to be much more successful than if a parent's not trying to do those kinds of things. And so, again, my point here is start really simple and do, do the real practical work of going walking through those daily routines and coming up with one or two directions and write it down. And if you're a parent doing this on your own, you're listening to the show and you're not even working with a the therapist yet or you're working, you know, not working on this, not on your page, you need to, again, be super specific with yourself and, and write it down. Say, okay, every morning at breakfast, these are the two things that we're going to work on. Or even before that, every day when I get him out of his crib, this is what I'm going to say. And these are the, you know, I'm going to ask him to give me five or I'm going to wait for him to put his arms up. You're going to say, you know, um, you want me to pick you up or you, you know, want me to hold you or want mama to get you, just pick whatever your little command is and then think about what his response should be and then you just stick to that and work on that over and over and over again until he gets it. You know, you might have to do it every day for 
three weeks before he starts to really follow that direction. But that's okay because your consistency and your predictability and your repetitiveness is what will help him really, really start to understand those kinds of things. All right. Um, let's move on a little bit. You might also, as a therapist, really think about, okay, you know, I'm not with this family during everyday routines, but what can I do during my sessions that would be like this to work on receptive language? And so think about your routines. If you are in a clinical setting and you get a child from the waiting room to your therapy room, you need to think about what your directions might be. Is it open the door? Is it something like are you going to maybe work on some action words while you're walking back to your therapy room, you know, or maybe something as simple as hold my hand or something like knock on the door, open the door, those kinds of little things. Think about what what pieces or what routines do I have for therapy for him that I can teach him to do his part on the way. If you're a home therapist and you get there and uh, one thing that I used to do that's kind of crazy when I did a lot of home visits is I always took off my shoes in family homes because I don't want to track up their floors and lots of people have kind of a no shoe policy or it's just more comfortable if I have mud on me I don't want to sit on my mud while I'm working with a child so I would take my shoes off and I would just start to say to kids you know put my shoes over there whatever the whatever you know we would come up with something with shoes is the key word and so even little things like that can be pretty important to get receptive language going. And, again, you talk to parents about that and you say, hey, he's not, I'm not having him be my little assistant here. I'm working on uh, him understanding the word shoes and following directions with that. You know, I bet you need him to get his shoes every day when you're looking for them too, right? And so you make that really, really a part of a parent's uh, routine too, and you explain what you're doing and how you, what your intent is with that. And so be sure that you're looking at little routines too, even in, um, even in a clinical setting or even in your own visits to a family home. All right, so don't be concerned about over-directing and disrupting the play routine of a toddler, especially for the uh, therapists will kind of get concerned about this. We'll think, "Hey, I'm being a little too controlling here. I need to, I need to make this more natural and really follow what a kid is doing. I don't need to direct everything." Let me just say, that's all receptive language is <laughs> following directions. So you are going to have to give a lot of directions. So if you are working with a child, and receptive language is one of your big goals, you can't just let him sit and play. You've got to, you know, if you have a farm set, you need to give directions with that. You know, put the man in the tractor, drive to the barn, open the door, get the cow out, make the pig drink, make the make the chicken fly. You know, all those things. You've got to be pretty directive. And a lot of times I think younger therapists or therapists who've worked in other settings have it done early intervention. You're used to kids just having better play skills and you're used to kids, you know, you think about following directions like, Something more like you're going to set, you know, I'm going to put a ball, a book, and a baby out, and I'm going to say, get the baby, and then he's going to put it back, and I'm going to say, get the ball. Don't do things like that. I mean, you can, and it's okay, but the best way to work on receptive language really will be in the context of what the child is doing. So the best thing to do would be to give a lot of directions during play. Now, sometimes kids 
don't do what you say or they're not linking meaning well enough so they can't follow those directions. So a kind of a prerequisite for that is you sort of beating them to the punch. And so you would ask a kid in this case to do what you think he's already about to do. So go back to your farm example. Let's say you're sitting there and y'all are playing with a little farm set together and you know that he's about to uh, pick up the dog. So you, as he's reaching for it, you say, get the dog. And again, he's not doing it yet because you've asked him, but eventually he will. And so you start to think about how can I, again, sort of beat him to the punch and how can I, how can I really start to address receptive language when he's not following any directions? And again, we've already talked about tell him, show him, help him. It's the best way to do it. But some of the time, start to do this too. So if he's running toward a ball, he's about to kick a ball, what would you say? You would say, run, kick the ball. If he's reaching for a cookie, what would you say? Pick up the cookie. So, again, don't, as a parent now, keep it in your mind. He's not doing this because I asked him to do it. All you're doing right now is setting the stage and, and getting him ready, getting his little pump primed to be able to follow directions like that. Let's say, too, another thing. Let's kind of go back a little bit to the over-directing during play. Be sure that you're having fun, too. You know, sometimes when we're working on receptive language and following directions, it does feel like we're sort of the drill instructor <laughs> with, do this, do that, da, da. You know, you don't, want to, you don't want to be like that because that really will turn kids off. I mean, it turns adults off. None of us like to be told what to do constantly. So make sure that you're having a lot of fun with that. Again, if you'll keep it in context and keep it related to what the child is already doing, that will certainly go a long way with that. All right, so I hope I've given you some ideas for you to work on receptive language in everyday routines. Remember, if you need some more specifics with that, this whole show was taken from my therapy manual, Let's Talk About Talking. And let me just say, now this book isn't on sale all the time because it is so hard and expensive for us to produce. And so we always offer that in limited quantity. So if you were listening to the show live, we, it's October 2018. Hopefully that book's going to be back on sale October, November, you know, just in time for Christmas. So if you want that book and if this information was helpful for you, Boy, keep your eyes on it at teachmetotalk.com and subscribe to the email list because you'll get notified first when that goes back on sale. And we always have such limited quantities, and sometimes we sell out of those, you know, several hundred books within a day or so. So be sure that you're looking for that. And, and let me just say, receptive language is part of those 11 skills toddlers master before words emerge. So if you're working with a late talker or a, really a toddler with, uh, identified language delays, a toddler who already has a diagnosis for something else, those 11 skills are the reason he might not be talking. And sometimes we do just go to that expressive language piece without looking at all those things that have to come first. And receptive language, gosh, there's no bigger part of that than understanding what words mean. Now, some other fields might tell you differently and again, not to bash our our colleagues in ABA because I really, especially these last few years, have come to know and love and appreciate ABA more than I ever have, especially when I realized that, man, a lot of what I do is really ABA-like. Uh, but at the same time, 
they may not feel like we do about receptive language as speech language pathologists. They may not emphasize that. They may they may think it's really fine to work on expressive language without considering the magnitude of the importance of helping a child really understand. Now, our ABA friends do a lot of having children follow directions, and that's really the same thing. And so it don't have your whole little picky, you know, split hair discussions about that from field to field and, and kind of get territorial about that. But at the same time, nobody owns receptive language like speech pathologists do. And we should be out there waving the banner for Kids have to understand words before they can use words. Kids have to know what words mean, and we have to have evidence of that, and they have to be able to demonstrate that long before we expect them to say a word. So as SLPs, I hope that we can kind of keep that message first and foremost. And sometimes, you know, we have to really, again, with parents, reinforce that, because especially our, our little guys with autism that, are getting maybe, you know, 20 hours a week of ABA, and we see them once or twice a week if we are lucky, and we may be the only people talking about how important receptive language is and how important it is that they learn to understand what words mean and learn to follow directions. So be sure that you're really, really reviewing that with parents too. All right, so that's the end of this show. You know, today we were talking about those top strategies to target receptive language during everyday routines. Hope I gave you some great information about that. And this was the I Need a Plan series. This was the second piece of that, the receptive language cognitive piece. And so next time we're moving on to expressive language and we're going to do the same thing, talk about how what our top strategies are for working on expressive language during everyday routines. I hope you'll join me for that show. And in the meantime, have a great week. Bye-bye.